0: Hello, and welcome to Worst Best Sellers, where we read about robot penises so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Machines Like Me by Ian McEwan. Joining us to discuss this pretentious piece of literary science fiction is Amy, fangirl and robot enthusiast. Hello. Hi. Thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. Long time listener, first time caller. Thank you.
0: Thanks for classing things up with your British accent, you
2: know. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Amy, I would like you to know that I'm drinking my tea out of a Doctor Who mug this morning. Partially in your honor and partially because we haven't unpacked all the mugs yet. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't find uh, the one that I normally drink out of. But it's good. It's got a little top, so it keeps it warm.
1: Well, Kate, I have decided to commemorate the fact that we are coming up on 10 years of of being friends. And so I made you read this. I made you read this uh, because I love you. And I'm really sorry about that decision. (laughs) Past me is a real jerk and I hate her because she made me read it, too. And that was the worst. (laughs)
2: I didn't realize that the 10-year friend anniversary gift was terrible, important white man robot <laughs> porn. <but>. Yeah, <laughs> you know,
1: it's, you just got to do it. Yeah.
2: So, oh, yeah, let's also, get into, oh, what? Just real quick before we get started, um, I did a, I wanted to shout out to our listener, Megan, Um who I did a um, fandom in politics, U.S. politics survey uh, a little bit ago, and while I was talking she was like, your voice sounds familiar, <laughs> and we figured out it's because she listens to the show. Um, so, shout out to Megan, thanks for listening, sorry I was so rambly, you're probably <laughs> used to it. <laughs>
0: Cool. Shout out to Megan. I was going to say shout out to Content Warnings. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> um, shout out to Content yeah. Warnings. This one's got some, like, I mean, s- sexual assault, but, um, uh, well, we'll get into it. I guess we can just leave it at sexual assault and sort yeah. of... Yeah,
1: I mean, I I guess I'd say it's like... There's a significant bit of backstory that is sort of a violent rape and a suicide. And like the book doesn't get into it in loads of detail and we probably won't either. But that's a plot point. It's great. Yeah,
0: Yeah. a really like unexpectedly revealed, clunkily dropped in plot point. But uh, yeah, heads up for that. Heads up for important white men. (laughs) And he's just so important, you guys. Yeah, he's won so
1: many Booker prizes. So many.
0: God, so yeah, when you um Amy when you suggested this book, I I'd heard of Ian and I read Atonement like a long time ago, you know, when it was first getting its buzz or whatever. And I haven't read any of his other stuff. I didn't realize he had written so many books. From the way that you talk about it, I think maybe he's kind of a bigger deal in the UK than in the US. Like certainly yeah, he's so. known here, but um I don't think to the extent it sounds like in the UK.
1: Yeah, like I don't <laughs> hmm is he our Franzen he might be our Franzen it's hard oh, to say
0: oh sure
1: yeah <laughs> I I think I think that's kind of it like he's sure, sure, sure. very well regarded I've never been interested in reading any of his books um but he's definitely his kind of quote-unquote brand is very much look at these sad middle class white cishet people as they struggle to communicate and their relationships are a nightmare and also just women lie about rape a lot and also sometimes they don't fuck you and it ruins your life
0: ruined yes yeah like, um yeah because like yeah. the only other one i read was atonement and that is definitely mm, yep. uh, the, the <laughs> part of atonement um and then also b- but then when you suggest this one you brought up the kind of kerfuffle that Ian McEwan caused by giving an interview where he was basically like oh I wanted to write sci-fi because I thought I would have like an intelligent take on it and use it to explore social issues unlike the rest of these idiots writing science fiction for all these years <laughs> <laughs> literally and I no of, one ever I kind of did remember that like um moment after you reminded me of it like I feel like I read some like funny twitter takes on it at the time which was um last year
1: yeah uh so yeah and he kind of like he attempted to clarify later being like no i've read like ursula Le Guin and stuff like well it did not have much of an effect on you clearly but yeah he it was very much that thing of i a serious author i'm going to completely revolutionize this genre because surely no one has ever done anything as interesting as what i'm thinking about
0: yeah actually amy since you went to the trouble of pulling that quote do you want to just read it so that because sometimes i feel like when we summarize things people can listen and be like oh okay like you're just being mean but i think if you read this quote people like no that's pretty much literally what he said Yeah, so uh, this is a direct
1: quote from an interview he did with The Guardian last year where he said, there could be an opening of a mental space for novelists to explore this future not in terms of travelling at 10 times the speed of light in anti-gravity boots but in actually looking at the human dilemmas of being close up to something that you know to be artificial but which thinks like you. If a machine seems like a human or you can't tell the difference then you jolly well better start thinking about whether it has responsibilities and rights and all the rest. And hey Ian, real quick, thank god for you literally no one (laughs) has ever thought about this before but you have come to save us all like in the entire history of science fiction from mary shelley to now nobody no one at all apart from you you brave hero has thought about this so yeah thanks (laughs) thanks
2: ian it's great yeah Um, didn't franzen also have a thing where he once said like oh like sci-fi is bad because sci-fi is for children and idiots yeah that sounds
1: right (laughs) yeah and i know that like historically margaret atwood's been a little bit like that as well i think less so now but you know she was a bit resistant on describing the handmaid's tale as sci-fi it's like well it is though like it's (laughs) fine
2: (laughs) so i guess we should start describing this weird book but
1: but yeah definitely just as we go through bear in mind that what Ian McKeown believes he's done is said something incredibly profound about artificial intelligence throughout telling this story. That's what he thinks he's done.
0: Yes. Groundbreaking.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Just really, really brave.
2: So it's a, it's an alternate history sci-fi book where, At at least, I don't know if this is the nexus point, because I don't know enough about British history. So, Amy, if this isn't the nexus point, and you know what it is, please feel free to jump in. But um, Sir Alan Alan Turing did not get chemically castrated, and in response to his homosexuality, he actually... I uh, chose to go to prison instead and then flourished and became a famous scientist and mathematician and was knighted and is revered by everyone in the world. And because he was alive, all of our technological advances happened like 20 years earlier than they did in our world. So like they had the internet in the sixties and self-driving cars in the eighties and, uh, Artificial. the first artificial intelligence was introduced to the market just as this book opens. Yes.
0: Also, just to back up further, just in case um, you're like, Alan Turing, that name sounds familiar, but I don't know. Like, I do feel like in the last few years, he's become much more like mainstream knowledge, Alan Turing. He was played by Benedict Cumberbatch in that movie, The Imitation Game. He was... Yeah. You, okay, look, I know. I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> No, it's a, it's important
1: context, and you're right to bring it up. I just also just needed to register my disgust, but no, you carry on. Uh, uh,
0: just in case you didn't know, like, so he was this brilliant British mathematician who worked to break the Enigma code during World, world War Two, but then was, um, you know, arrested for practicing homosexuality, and then in our timeline, uh, just, just fucking sucks. But in, in our timeline, he did uh, die by suicide and so we didn't get robots in the 80s because of that
2: apparently yeah
1: yeah and i mean we can you know this comes up more later but i the whole thing about you know oh he made the better choice in this timeline and choke was brave and chose prison rather than chemical castration it's like what over oh, you know i the, it's a i I don't know how i feel about that because you know
0: the whole time i was reading this and we'll get into the plot in a second i swear but they casually named up turing like very early on and just you're like oh he's still alive but they don't mention anything about like and also in this timeline it wasn't illegal to be gay and also in this they don't mention any of those other factors and then at the very end turing gives the speech about how they gave me the choice between jail and chemical castration, and I was all set to do chemical castration, um, which in our timeline, that was sort of believed like that made him depressed and that led to his death. Um, but he says, I. I- the way that he framed it was more like he talked to a friend, and the friend was like, "You don't know all the potential side effects of the chemical castration, and like think about it and don't do it." Which is like a, such a, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty from him writing in our timeline, but, um, but it still doesn't go into really like, and then in this year you know, that law was over, like, he just, he wants to have Alan Turing alive, and he doesn't at all want to go into any of the, like, civil rights issues that must have played out somewhere in the background.
1: Yeah, and I think because there is a bit where he sort of talks about Turing's achievements over time, and I guess, I mean, a huge problems throughout this book is it does really expect you to know all the things that Ian McEwan knows which is kind of infuriating but you know he talks about how Turing did a lot of work um during the AIDS crisis and did kind of political advocacy about things and so you can kind of piece it together that like okay well in our timeline um gay sex was decriminalized for men over 21 in 1967 so probably that still happened and then this 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 and this i guess but yeah he doesn't really go into it and i think like yeah i don't know just this idea that oh well if only turing hadn't made the bad choice but, but i'm not really sure that all of that shit was his fault but sure
0: right yeah. okay anyway, anyway that's alan turing is like a c-string character in this but that to me was one of the more interesting parts and so i wanted to follow that through before we get into the plot which unfortunately focuses on this idiot named charlie friend which by the way charlie friend is the name of like i don't know an off-brand muppet
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: but he is he is our protagonist and the book opens with him bringing home uh an atom artificial ai robot thing which they only you know have made what? Charlie 20-
0: friend sorry Charlie friend is the name of a robot Charlie friend is what the AI should have been named. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, they have only made twenty five of them um, and they called them Adams and Eves and he wanted an Eve but they were sold out of Eves and he bought the Adam and the only reason that he could afford to buy the Adam because he's like kind of one of those like day traders who plays the stock markets to make money but he's real bad at it is that his mother recently died and left him an inheritance and he spent basically the whole thing on this robot. Um, so he brings it home and his uh, 22-year-old upstairs neighbor, who's 10 years younger than her, uh, him, is real into it and He suddenly decides after giving us like two pages of talking about how he's not going to fall in love with her because like she's younger and that way lies madness and they'd rather be friends. He very abruptly decides that actually he is already in love with her and he's going to subtly trick her into being with him by having her help him choose Adam's personality.
0: Yeah, as if they're making a child together.
2: Yes. And that will draw her to him uh, and make her fall in love with him also. But as soon as he turns Adam on and Adam becomes conscious, the first thing he says is that Miranda is a liar and he can't trust her. Mm hmm. So he's like, well shit. But he still invites her over and cooks her magical chicken that makes her want to fuck him. And
0: which Adam helps her. with the chicken recipe because he's a really helpful robot.
2: Yes. Around this time, also randomly Charlie is in the park and he sees a child being shaken and abused by his mother and yells at her and kind of gets into a fight with the parents. And the parents are like, well, if you want him so bad, you can take him. And he calls their bluff and he's like, all right, I'll take your kid and takes the kid's hand and starts to walk off. And then the parents get pissed that he's kidnapping their child. Mm -hmm. Um, And he gives them his card and leaves. That's foreshadowing. That's foreshadowing. For
1: the weirdest plot line in this book. (laughs) Yes. Maybe. I mean, all of the (laughs) plot lines are weird, but this was pretty
0: weird. It's a lot.
1: Yeah um, and just as I was getting into it I was like oh no this is going to infuriate me even more than I realized so I knew about the robots and I knew about the British politics and I was like, okay like those are both those are both my things and this is going to be terrible and that's like oh no it's like children's foster care that's my day job fuck this is going to be rough <laughs> and yeah just reading that being like what are you doing <laughs> especially he leaves his card with them but like takes no other action it's like Okay, so you were upset enough about what was happening to get involved, but then, eh, never mind. Almost kidnapped a child today, ho-hum. I'm gonna go back to my <laughs> robot
0: and my sexy, aloof neighbor. Like, uh, what? <laughs> but, okay, I do have to say that as I was reading this, from this uh, from the start, I assumed that I was meant to like Charlie, that he was meant to be like our likable, you know, everyman protagonist, and... He sucks, and I hate him, but as it went on, I, I'm i pretty sure he is supposed to suck, and he does all this dumb shit, and we're like, oh, like, not to get too far ahead of myself, but I believe at the end we're supposed to be like, oh, that robot is, like, way more of a good person than Charlie, the actual person, which I think is, um, you know, we can get into that, but, um, so he does all these things that suck, and I do think, I do think that we are supposed to and be like, well, he doesn't actually care about that child. Like, that was just a weird bluff that he got into and, like, a weird pissing contest he got into with the abusive dad. And so, in that way, I I don't necessarily, like, censure it because I think we are supposed to understand that he sucks.
2: Right? But it's, like, my... I'm not... I'm still not sure. I think I said to Amy's wife at one point when I was reading it, like, I don't know if everyone is supposed to be insufferable or if... I just find them all insufferable but either way it means that I'm reading an 11 hour book about people who I can't stand <laughs>
1: Yes, yeah. yeah I think that's definitely because yeah I agree that you know I think part of the point by the end is that uh Adam my sweet precious angel is way better than Charlie could ever be but you know, but also, why are we? Why are we living? Why does the story have to be told from first person inside this guy's insufferable head? You know, yeah. um I think for me, just there's so much about this book where there are lots of interesting concepts and interesting things happening in the background. And for a couple of pages, you're like, ooh, ooh, that's cool. Oh no, okay, we're back to Charlie's in a monologue about whatever the fuck. Like, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so bizarre. I would enjoy this story from almost anyone else's point of view more.
2: Yeah.
0: Yes, it would be much more interesting to read from Adam's point of view. I mm-hmm. think it would probably be much more challenging to write from Adam's point of view. But here we are with this dirtbag Charlie friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But
2: So after he um, encounters this kid, Mark, and his parents in the park, there's just there's some point. He goes back to his apartment and Miranda is ready because he has decided the way they'll make this robot together is that each of them will input half of his a random half of his uh ro- the adam the robot's characteristics themselves and not tell the other person so it'll a- apparently, be apparently
0: like apparently picking your robots personality is like designing a sim or like filling out an <laughs> Cupid profile because it's like a survey of questions and they divide up the question and i just feel like that's a wild way for this robot to receive a personality. <laughs> yeah, particularly because it is suggested later
1: on that that had next to nothing to do with anything and was just like a marketing thing anyway. Hmm. Yeah, so but the,
2: the idea is that it'll be much more like creating a human child if each of them give him a certain amount of his traits. There's a lot of like really disturbing procreation metaphors throughout this book some of them having to do with adam some of them having nothing to do with anything but just deciding to describe something as a sperm going towards an oval yes oh my god Mm -hmm. yes
1: that was so weird um but yeah you know it's 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 the the regular um stages of relationship you you make dinner and then you fuck and then you co-program your robot baby it's Mm -hmm, beautiful.
2: And they do this for a while and like, you know, every day is great because like she goes to classes and then comes home and then they eat dinner and then they fuck and then they talk all night. And then there's all this political stuff going on, which I don't fully understand because I don't know a ton about British politics. But there are these huge info dumps where there's just these inner monologues of Charlie's where it's like Ewan McEwan made a master world building document where he just wrote out everything that was different and then copied and pasted it directly Mm -hmm, into mm -hmm. the book instead of weaving it throughout it more naturally.
0: Yeah. And 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 I think this is... Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, I think this is probably a big part of why this book wasn't hugely popular in the U.S. Like, Atonement hit really big, and for a lot of reasons, I I think. But, like, you know, that's a World War II book. Americans are into World War II. This is about the Falklands War. Americans do not know what that is, um, including me. I fully read this book with the Falklands War Wikipedia page open in a tab, because I was like, oh, I don't... Eh? Uh, eh? Uh, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, no, it's super weird. And because you know, the Falklands War what, is exactly in that point where it was just before I was born. So it was too recent to learn about in history, but also I wasn't alive at the time. So yeah, I was Wikipediaing it, being like, wait, what? Like, you know, the kind of the, I would say the average British knowledge of it is it's one of our many, 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 many weird bits of colonized stuff scattered around the world, specifically some islands off Argentina Um, and... We got into a fight with the Argentinians about it in the 80s and Britain won and it was Thatcher and it was all very, you know, nationalistic and kind of gross. Um, But yeah, it is this kind of weird footnote that he really gets into in a way where I think other than other British people of his kind of age, I'm not sure it's of that much interest to anybody. Some of the kind of political fallout that he sort of draws later, like, was quite interesting to me, but I'm a British politics nerd, so I don't really know if anyone else would kind of know or care. And it, again, it just doesn't have any relevance on the plot, but we keep going back to it. It's super weird. But yeah, so the... um, kind of what I guess is what's presented as like one of the biggest consequences of Turing's continuing contributions is that uh the Argentinian military gets access to some uh technology that means they're able to win the war and so we lose the Falklands war and uh that's really bad for Thatcher and her um government and things kind of play out differently from there but which was kind of interesting but also
2: what was the point? I really don't know. Yeah, there's there's something that I really want to ask your opinion on Amy once we get to it. Okay. Because um, I'm super curious, but um, so all, there's all these monologues and there's just like all of this like and then we ate dinner and then we fucked and then we talked literally summarized like that instead of actually, you know, showing what is actually happening between them. But then one night they get into a fight over politics and miranda's real cool to charlie so they're gonna sleep in different rooms um so he goes back down to his own apartment and adam has already been plugged in in her apartment and their apartments are real shitty so he can hear everything through the floor and he hears her go and wake adam up and then he hears adam go into the bedroom and then he hears her and adam fuck And the next morning, he is furious that A, she would do that, and B, Adam would betray him like that. Mm -hmm. And she is very like, he's a fucking robot. Like, I know that you wanted to fuck the Eve robot if you got it. It's like a dildo. Like, chill out, my man. I didn't cheat on you. Like, I just decided I wanted to see what it was like fucking this robot. And it was pretty good. (laughs) Yeah.
0: By the way, I have to say, when I was reading the part where he's listening, Like, from, like, page two, we learn, like, oh, this robot's got a working dick, and I was like, okay, so, like, a theme of this is gonna be Charlie jealous of this robot's dick, but I really didn't expect Miranda to actually have fucked the robot so quickly. I really thought she was gonna be like, you are, you know, you were so jealous, and you just heard me, like, tossing and turning in bed, and you, like, and, you know, made this whole thing up in your mind, and so she's like, no, I fucked the robot, and it was good. (laughs) And I don't know, I... I feel like I maybe would have been more interested in this, like, baseless jealousy than in Miranda, like, immediately fucking the robot.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it is it is a theme in the book of, like, Charlie and Miranda both use Adam to their own ends and kind of treat him as more or less of a person, depending on, like, their mood that day. because. You know, in amongst all of this, Adam is developing more of a personality and more interests. And, you know, it becomes clear pretty early on that, like, he has feelings and he's not that kind of uh, data from Star Trek-esque robot who, like, is sentient but doesn't experience emotion. Like, he pretty early on, like, starts to have emotions and feelings Mm -hmm. that they don't really care about at all.
0: Yes, and he says he's in love with Miranda, and no one takes this seriously. But he maintains the threat that he is in love with Miranda.
2: Yeah. Um. So after they're while they're fighting about uh, Miranda fucking the robot, um, Charlie randomly dangles that he knows she was in legal trouble in front of her, like as an argument stopper. Except he doesn't actually know all the details, but he pretends he does. Mm-hmm. Um, all he knows is that, like, she was in some sort of legal trouble and was in court and he doesn't know anything else about it. And she freaks out. But before they can fully, like, get into it, um, the, there's a knock at the door and it's, um, the dad of Mark, the kid from the park. And he gives, like, no, Mark-
0: it's just, it's just Mark. It's just the kid comes with an envelope.
2: Doesn't the dad, like, walk him to the door? No. It is (laughs) is just this kid by himself. (laughs) Okay. The kid is there and he has an envelope and when he opens it up, it's got Charlie's card in it and it says on the back, like, if you wanted him, you can have him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So suddenly, like, this kid is here and Miranda thinks that he is fucking fantastic and starts like cooing at him and talking to him and and teaching him how to dance. Yes. And Adam, very briefly, is Mark's favorite, because he um, makes him a boat to play with in the bath. But then once he gets out of the bath, Miranda is dancing with him and teaching him how to dance. And Miranda, Mark clearly likes Miranda more. And Adam is like kind of put out by it, and keeps telling them they need to call the authorities. And they're kind of like, oh, we'll get around to it. And then calls the authorities without telling them. So the social workers show up and take Mark away and Miranda's pissed at Adam and Adam's in love with Miranda and Charlie's like you know what we're gonna turn you off for a little while except when he goes to hit the turn off button uh Adam breaks Charlie's arm mm-hmm. <laughs> and tells him he's disabling his own turn off button Yeah.
1: yeah and like um, he doesn't mean to hurt Charlie that badly but it's very much a kind of reflex oh no he's reaching for what they call a kill switch, but it's just like a switch off thing and just like a, like a like, power button. Yeah, and just kinda of grabs his arm and then breaks it kind of by mistake and feels super bad afterwards. But it's like, no buddy, that's you can have bodily autonomy. It's okay.
0: By the way, this is also a part where I just want to flash in on the charlie's casual shittiness um charlie had studied anthropology at university but wasn't very dedicated to it i forget if we explicitly mentioned that how he makes his living beyond the inheritance from his mom is that he like trades stocks at the computer but he has this degree in anthropology and sometimes he factors that into his internal monologue and when the social workers come in, he describes them as two Asian women wearing headscarves who looked like they could be mother and daughter. And then there's no... I assume they're not actually mother and daughter. And so it's just kind of like, oh, is he literally just saying, like, all Asian women all look related? Because uh, we never really follow up on that. Yeah. And given a- given how shitty Charlie is, I feel like probably that is what he was
1: saying. <laughs> yeah. And that there's so many... Weird racist decides throughout the book, cause yeah, he often has these like anthropology moments where he talks about this weird exotic island tribe and how they do this thing, and isn't that just appalling? But it's so interesting. Ooh, it's like shut up, like what this is nothing. Um, and the way the way that Adam gets described throughout was really interesting to me, cause they have this whole bit at the beginning about how like all the different Adams and Eves have been given like a range of different um appearances and ethnicities um and sort of adam gets very exoticized like he's kind of he's he's sort of often described as looking sort of turkish so kind of eastern european slash middle eastern um but the way that they talk about him a lot is just so weird it's so weird
2: yes it's the whole it's there's a lot of weird racial shit in here that I don't necessarily feel qualified to delve into, but, like, maybe Ewan McEwan needs to check himself a little. Well, and and again,
0: again, I really do think that Charlie is meant to be a shitty character, and I think that certainly in works of fiction, like, sometimes there's value in, like, having shitty characters who say shitty things, and, you know, you can explore that without being like, oh, this character said a racist thing, therefore this book and this author are racist. But at the same time, with this, it is a little bit like, well, we're not... We're not fully following
2: through on this. Yeah, because some of it isn't like, oh, Charlie thought this and it's racist, and thus Ian McEwan must be racist. Some of it is like, the setup of this feels vaguely racist. Yeah. But whatever. I'm not... Just... It's, just we have my- enough else to talk about for sure. Yes. <laughs> um so so during this time, um the person who Miranda put in jail, uh Goring, sends a message with his former cellmate. Well, so hang on, going- I don't
1: sorry, I don't think we've explained the whole uh Miranda's criminal backstory thing yet.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, at this point in the book, I'm not sure she has fully... fully No.
1: But just so what we know so far is, yeah, that basically as soon as Adam was activated, he said something about Miranda being a liar. A little bit later, he mentions something about a court case because he was clearly able to look up a court record. But then he feels bad about it and doesn't give um, Charlie the full story. And so, yeah, then Charlie kind of talks to Miranda like he knows about the whole thing, but he doesn't. And it sort of becomes clear that... There is a guy in prison who has reason to be really, really angry with Miranda and he's sent someone before who was threatening and he's being released soon. And she's very worried about it. But we still don't know like what actually happened.
2: Yes. Um, and she does at this point, after she gets this death threat, um, explain to him that she or no, she doesn't explain to him. He looks it up because he now has a name. Um, so he looks up what happened and reads these court records that she had, according to court records, uh, gone over to this guy who she went to school with, um, apartment and they drank a lot of vodka and then they were kissing and then he wanted to have sex and she didn't, but he forced himself on her. And then the next day she reported him and it went to trial and now he got three years in prison for her rape. So this is this is the knowledge that Charlie now has that he is holding with him um, in his head without knowing all of the details. But like otherwise, things with Miranda are getting pretty good. And like this weird coldness between them is evaporating. And throughout this, like he has this constant, constant internal monologue about how he's super in love with her but she's probably not in love with him but maybe he can make her be in love with him but like he's so in love with her and which just was very strange to me after the beginning where he was like ah like this like student who lives above me who like I'm friendly with but I don't want to get close to. And then, like, suddenly it's all about how much he loves her.
0: Well, uh, and I think, again, it's, like, a contrast to to Adam's feelings, which feel more sincere. And Charlie, who, like, is the human, is having this, like, sort of very robotic, almost, like, logic tree um, kind of thoughts of, like, oh, well, she is nice, and I think I do love her, but then does she love me? And, like, if I make her chicken, will she love me? And it's... And I... Maybe I'm going too much to Aaron McGowan, but I do feel like this is an intentional shittiness.
2: But it's still shittiness. That absolutely, we have to read. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so just to, to jump through a little bit more uh, as we're we're running down the clock. Um, so while they're on really good terms, um, it's Charlie's birthday, so Miranda takes him out for a fancy dinner, and while they're at the fancy dinner, um, they see. Alan Turing on a date and Charlie has enough to drink that he afterwards goes over and just says to Alan Turing like oh, like, because even though he studied anthropology he was really into robotics but he just didn't have the head for math or the patience for math so he switched to anthropology from physics but he goes over and tells him that he's, like, his personal hero and that he has an Adam at home and that probably Alan Turing has one of the AIs, too, and he just wants to tell him how great he is and tries to ask him a question. And it's, like, very clear that, like, these two gentlemen do not want to talk to Charlie <laughs> anymore. Uh, so and who Charlie can blame leaves. them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Charlie leaves his card and they go home. Um, and... A little while later, Alan Turing calls Charlie um, and invites him over. And Charlie thinks it's like for a social visit, but really it's so that he can get some insight into how Adam is behaving. Mm-hmm. And he and- tells Alan Turing, imparts on the information that a lot of the Adams and Es have either um, commits committed suicide by like frying their circuits. Or one of them has intentionally, like, messed up his internal workings so that he essentially made himself dumber.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And that there's, like, all of these problems with the Adams and Eves and that, um, you know, Charlie should keep an eye on his. And if anything interesting happens, like, to let Alan Turing know. Mm -hmm. And Alan Turing does say that
0: um, his Adam is the first one who's reported falling in love
2: which yes. Is interesting. Miranda also, um, sometime around here tells under like this threat of this rapist who is getting out of jail, explains to Charlie and Adam that she wasn't actually raped, but the reason why she made this fake rape accusation is because her best friend from school was raped by this guy, and she was so um upset and like distraught by what happened she wouldn't let um miranda tell anyone even her parents she kept it a secret and then while miranda was on holiday this friend miriam died by suicide and now miranda has been filled with this guilt that if only she had told someone miriam would still be alive uh and that is what made her do her revenge rape accusation so her rape accusation is justified in her, at least her own mind and that is why she thinks that this guy wants to kill her
0: yes and honestly like as i was reading the first half of this book i was just furious that ian McGuinn would like set up another situation of you know, a woman's false accusation of rape, especially because you know, from Charlie and Adam's point of view, it definitely just seemed like she kind of did it on some kind of power trip or like casually. And then to hear this, I, get, um, I don't know. I I read it and I was like, you know what? Like, I buy it. Like, I I'm not saying. I don't know. Yeah, it didn't seem like the worst motivation.
1: No, and it like and the book doesn't present it as being a terrible thing that she's done. You know, Charlie is pretty much like, "Now nah, that's fair." He sounds like he's a real shithead. And it's kind of Yeah, so it's like we're not made to think that, you know, ah, oh, this is because you just can't believe women and they do this all the time. It's like, "No, this is a facet of Miranda's personality that like she's very racked with guilt and did the one thing that she could think of to try and get some kind of justice for her friend, but she's still really fucked up about it. So, well, okay, like this is interesting, I guess, but also it is a weird kind of theme in his work that is just like why? Why do we keep coming back to these kinds of stories over and over again?
2: Mm-hmm. And it's it's also just a weird and like who knows? Maybe this is me being cynical, but. It, even even if like socially everything is much more forward thinking in the 80s like to have this case where there's little to no evidence except her word against his no but that that's the thing it do you mean Miranda
0: yeah well because like she was methodical about it remember like she actually had sex with this man that she didn't want to um so that she could go and have the dna
2: evidence well y- yes she has the dna evidence but what i was going to say is that like in in to to have like it be her word against his and have her have gone over there on purpose like and been drinking like that is at least in this country a very classic story that ends with them saying like well like was it really rape though probably not I and hate to like the judge did say that but the jury like the jury um
0: took her side I think partly because she was like young white and like like he does kind of get into it I don't know I feel yeah, like I'm defending this book
2: <laughs> Yeah I found it very unbelievable personally like this could just be a different of a difference of opinion it seemed like it was a, a very, I, I found it like a stretch. And because of that, like, while I did personally find, you know, oh, like, what her actions were and why she did it to be noble. Um, it, it also felt like, from a, a like, Doyalist standpoint, why would you make this a plot point in your book? Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't, it, for me, from that Doyalist perspective, it just does not hold together in the way that i think he wanted to there are ways that he could have gone about a similar thing if he was really intent on keeping this in here that i think would have held more water but i also just think the whole thing is so ludicrous and like you know we have enough problems in the world with people (laughs) saying like women make false accusations of rape all the time to like make two books based on the idea of false accusations of rape, even if, like, at the end of the day, one of them is a tragedy and one of them is within the text justified, just puts a spotlight on that happening that I'm very uncomfortable with. Yeah, no, I I
1: agree. I think that's pretty fair yeah and it's just it's just odd the whole thing is kind of weird um and yeah this i think as far as i can tell throughout a lot of his books i was kind of skimming summaries this morning and like a lot of them have this central thing of this woman and a decision that she made to do with sex and how it destroyed people's lives like there's another book where um like uh uh, a married couple try to consummate their marriage after their wedding day and like she's not into it and it ruins everyone's lives you're like okay well like Ian Ian you okay bud you okay like yeah do you want, do you want to talk about it not to me but like maybe to someone else like a
2: big professional <laughs> just kind of like
1: work through some stuff and stop putting it in your books all the time that'd be great
2: yeah Um. but anyway back in the land of the book Um. one day like Charlie is just working on his day trading stock markety financials shit where he makes very little money and Adam is looking over his shoulder and is like oh like well if you do that and then sell that like you'll make a hundred pounds and he does so he's like hmm maybe I can use this robot for my own gains and uh, kind of puts Adam in front of his computer and gives him like twenty bucks and is like make me money (laughs) So Adam is playing the stock market. Um, He has to, he starts making them all this money. So Charlie starts dreaming of this future for them where like they can get married and they can move across the river to a fancy house and like they can have nice clothes and they're just like generally happy in their lives. And they, uh, Miranda had been on Charlie for a little while to go visit her dad, who's very sick. And he's kind of like, all right, I'll come. And she's like, and Adam will come. And he's like, I'm less enthused about this aspect of it. And once they decide to go, Adam's like, I also think we should go and confront Gorange about like what he did to you and Miriam. And Charlie is very against this. But uh, Miranda's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Um, So they go and they meet his dad and her dad and her dad loves adam and is kind of like brushes charlie off and we find out moments later that the reason why is because he thinks adam is the real boy and charlie is the robot it's my
1: favorite thing that happens in the entire book it was so good it's like the one page i really enjoyed
0: this book knows that charlie sucks it's just a matter of like well we still do have to read this book about this guy who sucks
2: genuinely like it's genuinely funny at the end he after like the dad is quizzing him about all of this robot stuff once he realizes that the dad thinks he's a robot he just fucking goes with it and pretends to be a robot and ends mm-hmm. the conversation by being like i have to go downstairs and plug in now mm-hmm. <laughs> which honestly great way to get out of a conversation
0: yeah correct But also like the dad um the dad runs a magazine is very literary and something throughout this has been um adam has been like downloading all the works of shakespeare and like very excited about literature and wants to talk about it and then we get these monologues from charlie where he reveals that he hasn't read like anything but he doesn't want to admit this to his robot so he like fakes it because he sucks this guy sucks yeah and you
1: know i'm obviously it is this part of you know part of what he's trying to do is like, oh Adam is a better human than the humans. Um but yeah, you kind of throughout this, like Adam has been getting increasingly passionate about literature, like, and he started writing poetry. Uh so he writes all of these uh haiku um a lot of them kind of about or for Miranda. And both Charlie and Miranda are like pretty dismissive of it, um, because they're jerks and mm-hmm you know, like, I think especially by this point, and again, this is thematic and whatever, but now Adam has demonstrated his use to them because he's making them all this money and they really don't care about his thoughts and feelings. Um, And it's sad because Adam is a precious angel. Um, And like, you know, this is clearly like deliberate, all of this, but it's just, it's a bummer to read. Just like, oh man, Mm -hmm. Like, I want to read this from Adam's point of view. I want Adam to run off with Alan Turing and be happy. Like, this is...
0: Aww. Yeah, I want to read Adam's complete works of poetry.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So while they're they're visiting Miranda's dad, Charlie proposes to Miranda and she accepts. And she admits to him that she has a secret she needs to tell him and it might make him change his mind and immediately he's like oh no she fucked the robot again (laughs) but really the secret is that she has been in contact with mark's social worker and has been visiting him regularly and um starting down the road to fostering and adopting him and if charlie is going to marry her then he also like needs to be a part of this And at the time, Charlie is not totally sold on the idea, but he's like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Well, actually, he tells her, like, oh, I need to think about it. And then a couple hours later, is like, no, actually, it sounds great. And they also, while they're there, go and visit Gorange. And he immediately, when she's like, hey, like, the reason that I pretended you raped me was because you raped my best friend and ruined her life. And uh, she's dead now. And I blame you he is like, well, like I found Jesus in prison. And once I figured out that you knew her, like it became clear to me that that's why you did it. And like, I've been feeling guilt for it the entire time. And, you know, I realized that what I did was wrong and I'm very sorry. And that's why even I was going to write you a letter to tell you about how sorry I was. I got your address from your dad. Because at one point her dad tells her, that he gave her address to Gorange and they freak out thinking he's going to show up and kill them any day. And that he had told his old cellmate that he was going to kill her. But then once he figured out like why she did it, he had changed his mind. But at that point, the old cellmate was already out of jail. And then he kind of ruins it at the end, you know, again, like probably on purpose, but I mean, definitely on purpose, but by the author, it was a choice. But by saying, like, I just really think that if your friend Miriam had stopped fighting and just thought about it, like, we could have had a really enjoyable evening having sex in the grass behind the school where I dragged her into the bushes and forced myself upon her. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point, they leave. Mm hmm
1: although not not before uh miranda in probably my favorite thing she does in the book just like throws up really extravagantly in his hallway but like yes. it's but it's kind of she sort of runs out and they hear the sound and then they realize that like she's standing outside the house but has directed her puke back in i was like yeah that's good that's a good shout it's good
2: <laughs> good job um Adam also records this entire thing with the idea being that they can send it to the police and he can be tried for Miriam's rape as well, posthumously. And they head back to their home and they're really excited because they're going to get married and they have these meetings with Mark and like they're excited to start a family with him. And they are saving up this money to buy this house. And Charlie puts a down payment on it. And then there is a day that Mark is going to be spending the night with them and shows up at the apartment. And the night before Adam had gone for a walk and he has not come back yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he only has a charge for what, like 12 hours or something. Like he has to plug in every so often in order to keep functioning. Mm -hmm. So they're starting to get worried, but they don't want to show it in front of Mark. And then Adam shows up and is like desperate to be plugged in and plugs himself in and says some vague things that make them after Mark goes home, have this sneaking suspicion. So they go and find the suitcase where, they had all of the money stored that they were saving up to buy this house and start this new life together and realize that it's all gone yeah. and that Because
0: for for vague plot reasons, Charlie doesn't trust the bank, so he just keeps cash in his suitcase.
1: Well, yes. and also it's because the like aging rock star who's divorcing and selling them his house like only will only take money in cash. So there's like mm-hmm. a whole thing where they've been like building up this cash supply under the bed. It's like this won't come back to bite them at all.
2: Yes, and Adam has taken all the money and donated it all to charity, and also he has sent the records of their conversation with Gorange to the police without editing editing it. So also there is the bit in there that proves that Miranda falsified her rape accusation. Yes,
0: and this is something that they had talked about before, where Adam was like, I really feel like this is the thing to do, and you'll feel better if you do it, and it's the honest thing and they're like yeah but no and again like they don't listen to him
2: yeah one of miranda's sticking points is that if she has a criminal record she won't be able to adopt mark
0: Mm
2: -hmm. um but he has done this and in like the before they find out that he has sent the truth to the police they he keeps threatening to do it he says like that's what he's gonna do next Charlie takes a hammer and sneaks up behind him and and beats his head in and as he's dying he's like VT doves, I already told the police the truth Uh, and when all of the Adams and Eves are being recalled but I don't want to be recalled so hide my body when they come to get me and then take me to Alan Turing and like that's all I want okay bye and he gives them one final haiku that he has created Mm -hmm. yeah it all gets very Blade Runner um
0: (laughs)
1: And yeah, th- and there's this thing where possibly his consciousness is going to be like up- uploaded somewhere and might be able to be used again. We're not sure. That's kind of suggested. But yeah, and he's very like oh, that's too bad. I love you guys. Bye. Like, oh god, <laughs> this is grim. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um. So then Charlie and Miranda get married. Miranda has to go to jail for a while. Um, They lose out on Mark's adoption, but then there's the possibility of appealing their loss of adoption rights, or however you would phrase it, I'm sure Amy would know better, and Charlie finally takes Adam's body to alan turing's office and at first alan turing is like oh yeah like i'm scientific let's research the science of this and it very quickly turns into him being like you're a fucking murderer this is a person who had a consciousness and thoughts and feelings that he developed on his own and i hate you yeah charlie Charlie getting owned
0: by alan turing like (laughs) made a lot of this it was very good it was very very good
1: (laughs) And then, yeah, they find out that the appeal's been successful and they are approved to be adoptive parents. Super
2: cool. (laughs) Um, So here's a question that I have for you, Amy. And Uh that's the end of the book. Um, So the alternate politics of this seem to be that they... England loses the Falklands War. Margaret Thatcher comes into, like, staunch disapproval. No one likes her. Um, there's an election, she loses the new, um, first of all, is the guy who was the prime minister under the labor, was he a real person?
1: Uh, yeah. So should I quickly run through what I, the kind of what they've done? I mean, I don't think it's that interesting to go into in loads of detail, but basically, so Tony Benn, who becomes prime minister in this, um, was, uh, he was never leader of the labor party, but he was a really standing um, politician who is very kind of uh he died a few years ago after a very long career he's very kind of well respected as being um uh you know a kind of sort of very independent backbencher um and the thing is is so what they do is um tony Benn becomes labor leader because things happen a little bit differently because this the 80s in our timeline were a rough period for labor um where they didn't really get any traction, they weren't necessarily led particularly well, like, it was a bunch of infighting. And I think part of why Ian McEwan seems to have picked this setting is because he can be very, very clever and use this alternate 80s politics to make commentary on politics of today. And it's smug and I hate it.
2: (laughs) Um,
1: Because he's very much, like, created this kind of Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn kind of thing, um, which, you know... This came out a year ago, and it's already out of date. Like, it's it's, it's already like not that relevant anymore. Um, but yeah, but def- he
0: did. He did introduce us to the shocking concept that maybe robots have feelings. So.
1: Yes, and also he gets to you know make some really cheap shots about Brexit that were very irritating to me. Um, but yeah, so so Tony Benn is. Um, You know, what was never prime minister, but I suspect a lot of people think he would have been a good one. The one thing that was was a genuinely interesting thing to me that, again, if the book had been about this, I think would have been um, more interesting is one of the consequences is that. Uh, Tony Benn is uh, killed in um, an IRA bombing um, in Brighton. And that bombing did happen when um, and when Thatcher was the target. And it's one of those things that, like, this is actually kind of a cool parallel universe thing because uh, Thatcher notoriously, like, didn't really sleep much. And so the bomb went off at, like, 3 in the morning, but she was still up sitting working on something. Um, and so it didn't hurt her. But Tony Benn, in this alternate timeline, like... Is kills and then, you know, there's kind of fallout from that. Again, you're like, okay, in another thing, this is kind of interesting. You've taken sort of like this could be cool, but it has no bearing on the plot and it really just feels like it's just him being like, Look at me, I'm very clever and mm-hmm. I don't and you know, you have again this backdrop of there are a lot of protests, um, and there's a lot of uh, debate going on um about various things which again doesn't really seem to matter or be particularly meaningful it's just kind of happening and occasionally Charlie and Miranda fight about it um yeah
2: it it really feels like it almost should have been two different books yeah um so my my particular question is and I because I don't know very much anything about British politics is was is it is it plausible that this bomb would still happen in the same place at the same time if the opposition was in power it is yeah i was thinking about
1: okay. that cuz there are there's kind of a th- um the and you have annual party conferences which happen around the same time every year and It's And, you know, they were kind of the same few venues that they tend to go back to a lot. So in some ways, it would probably be more plausible that the Conservatives would still have their conference that year in that hotel rather than the other way around. But at the same time, probably, um, you know you might as well do it that way rather than saying, oh, and the IRA targeted a different hotel because that's where the leadership was that time. Um, But the general concept does kind of make sense. I think, arguably, it doesn't necessarily make sense that the IRA would try to, would assassinate uh, like left-wing Labour PM. I mean, they may well have done, but partly it was that they really fucking hated Thatcher specifically. Um, And they kind of referenced that...
2: That's more of my question, because I'm thinking about it as, like, the way politics work here, like, generally people who are mad at the Republicans aren't always also mad. Sometimes they are also mad at the Democrats, but, like, you know, it, it feels... Like, oh well, if it's the left wing party instead of the right wing party, would they still even be focused on planting this bomb? Yeah, I, I mean, guess it's more of my question. Yeah,
1: I think I think it's plausible, you know, because like, the IRA just hated Britain in general. Um, so it, although you know, they do say something about how like Tony Benn was a better chance for peace and everything, but I think that, but you know, it's also plausible. They're like, yeah, well, they're all the same. It doesn't really matter. Um, okay, and you know they're. Thing I don't know if they ever targeted labor politicians in the 80s, but there may well have just been because labor didn't really have any power and so it didn't seem worth it. So, yeah, though that it, yeah. It, it does kind of check out again, like an actual book about that would be interesting, but it's just this weird flavor in the background.
2: Okay, all right, well, that's my question. Mostly, this just felt
0: like a lot of devil's advocate arguments like strung together in a way that definitely like this book was irritating and I didn't (laughs) like it and I didn't think it was good but I did just want to highlight that he does like he knows I think Ian McGowan knows like how how shitty his characters are and I think that is sort of the point of it but it does is just the question of like what are we getting out of the experience of reading this and um And not that much, maybe. Yeah, it's kind
1: of like, hey, I've created this really annoying guy. Come hang out in his head for 300 pages. I'm like, okay. And, you know, I mean, this got really good reviews from a lot of people. And like, oh, wow, it's so whatever. I'm like, is it? Is it though? Like, it's just, you know, it's just not an enjoyable reading experience for me. And, you know, you know that thing when you're playing like a video game on a console or something and like you're trying to jump and you start leaning with your whole entire body like that's going to help? So yeah, yeah, that was me with this book every time an interesting plot thread came along where I was just like, no, take me into the Turing book. I want to be there. Take me into the, like, Prime Minister Tony Benn book. That sounds great. Take me into the Alan book. No, I'm stuck here. Fuck.
2: Yeah, like I the thing that I was saying to someone recently about it, it might have been on Twitter, is that like we read books that are very poorly written on like a sentence level sometimes. And this was not that, but it was not, I, in my personal opinion, it was not good or effective. So it wasn't like trash heap commas are bad that we sometimes read, but it was not... Like, nothing about it was effective to me for what I thought that he wanted to be doing. I did not enjoy the act of reading it, and I found everyone insufferable. And even if they were supposed to be, it did not make the process of reading it any more enjoyable for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Here's, um, because I read some reviews too, and like, yeah, overall a lot of critics liked this. And What I'm gonna, I would like to invite you to follow me on, like, sort of a stretch of a metaphor. Please, please please walk with (laughs) me. Okay. Strapped in. Um, I did not like the Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper, A Star is Born movie. Like, I didn't think it was a good, like, I didn't like the story of it. I didn't like the, the experience of watching the movie. But I love Lady Gaga. I love the soundtrack. Like, the music is good. Lady Gaga is incredible. Um, and- Almost, you know, like, I think I'm, like, about the only person who didn't like this movie, but I saw so many people being, like, oh, and, like, I didn't realize how good Lady Gaga was, and I think people were, like, I, like, oh, Lady Gaga is good, and I like her songs, and therefore I like this movie, and I feel like there might be a subset of people who who maybe haven't read a lot of other sci-fi, and they're, like, oh, I do like, I do like these ideas, and I do like this robot thing, and... I'm getting swept up and overlooking all the other parts that were bad because I like this kind of core. Like, I feel like Adam is the Lady Gaga of machines like me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, yep,
1: yep. Um, Excellent. Love it. Yes. Do I, I know we've been recapping this for a while, but do we want to get into like the weird alternate history stuff? Because I think the thing that I we've all been trying to figure out is whether this is an alternate history where there is a point of divergence or whether it's just everything's a little bit different because it it's written like it's the former, but then he keeps dropping in details that make it the latter. And one of the things that really irritates me about this book is there are so many... In those kind of world-building info dump monologues about, like, yeah, politics, germ theory, World War Two, just random stuff, and a lot of the time, like, I would go and Google it and be like, "Oh, that detail is different," but there's no way I would know without like researching, and you know, that's it felt very smug to me. Yeah, a lot of the time, of like he would drop in details that were different, but there's really no way you you'd expect the reader to know. So
2: why? Yeah, it. you said earlier, I think that like it felt like you needed to know exactly the things that Ian McEwen knew in order to enjoy this book from that perspective. Yeah, and I think that just, you are
1: correct. Just why? Like, because one thing that um, at one point he starts talking about Nikola Tesla and mentions Tesla uh moving to the UK and meeting Turing. And the only reason that I kind of thought that might be wrong, so that I went and checked, is because of like this season of Doctor Who had a Tesla episode. And like, you (laughs) know, just so I just randomly happened to have been recently reading up on him anyway and was like, I didn't think he did move to the UK. Oh no he didn't. But again it's like so what? Because there's also a reference at some point that like this is a world in which the US never used the atomic bomb.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Um, And that's just referenced in passing. And obviously that's pre-Turing's kind of making a different decision. So also it's definitely implied throughout that Turing's continued life has had a far bigger impact on world history than that lack of bombing Japan, which doesn't seem true. (laughs) Like, I feel like that's a pretty big event. Um, And... You know, like, it would have been interesting if maybe there was, you know, something about that. But no, no, it's just referenced in passing, but whatever. Like, no, that wait, hang on. That's a big deal. What are you talking about? Yeah.
0: It is, yeah, it definitely is, kind of. it is. Yeah,
2: it's not the point of the book, but maybe it should have been. Yeah. Um. The one last thing that I want to say before we move on to traumatic readings is that... Every time I saw the two of you in the notes document talking about how you um, kept for like getting the title wrong or forgetting the title, every time I looked at the title, I read it in the cadence of the uh, local Freehold New Jersey magis- uh, musician Bruce Springsteen's uh, little ditty, uh, Born to Run. <laughs> From the chorus, Tramps Like Us, I kept reading <laughs> Machines Like Me in that cadence uh, constantly. And I have had Born to Run stuck in my head <laughs> for like three weeks, because every time I look at the title, I read it that way, and the song comes back. And it's not a bad song. It is not necessarily my favorite Bruce song, <laughs> but it is now in my my brain forever. <laughs>
0: What I thought you were going to say was, like, yes, I did have trouble remembering the title, but I also had a real problem remembering Charlie's name, mm-hmm. which partly because it's his, from his point of view, so he doesn't say his own name that often, but partly just because Charlie sucks so much that it was... But I, any time I wanted to make a note about him, I had to go back and be like, what is his name? Yeah. yeah oh, it's no, Charlie Friend.
1: <laughs> yeah, I talked about just the protagonist a lot, because so I was like, I don't know, he's this fucking guy. Like, I guess he has a name.
2: All right. All right. Should we move on to dramatic readings? Let's do that thing. All right. Um, So I'm going to do the first dramatic reading. Um, It is from the section where uh, Charlie is listening in on Adam and Miranda having sex in the room above him. And it's so before this, like he's listening to them, to Adam moving about the room and imagining what he is doing based on the movements and the layout. And uh, that is where we pick up. No shortage now of marginally cooler air filling the room. My glee faded as Adam's footsteps returned to where Miranda waited by the bed. As he went towards her, it might have been an apology that he muttered. Here, the sound of her forgiving him for her brief sentence was followed by the entwined mezzo and tenor of their laughter. I had trailed after Adam and was once more by the bed, six feet under. He had the manual skills to undress her, and he was undressing her now. What else would occupy their silence? I knew, of course I knew, that her mattress made no sound. Futons, with their Japanese promise of a clean and simple life of stripped back clarity, were the fashion then and i myself felt washed in clarity senses cleansed as i stood in the dark and waited i could have run up the stairs and prevented them burst into the bedroom like the clownish husband in an old seaside postcard but my situation had a thrilling aspect not only of subterfuge and discovery but of originality of modern precedence of being the first to be cuckolded by an artifact i was of my times riding the breaking crest of the new ahead of everyone in enacting that drama of displacement so frequently and gloomily predicted another element of my passivity even at this earliest moment i knew that i had brought the whole thing down on myself but that was for later For now, despite the horror of betrayal, it was all too interesting, and I couldn't stir from my role as eavesdropper, the blind voyeur, humiliated and alert. It was my mind's eye or my heart's that watched as Adam and Miranda lay down on the unyielding embrace of the futon and found the comfortable posture for a clasp of limbs. I watched as she whispered in his ear, but I didn't hear the words. She had never whispered in my ear at such times. I saw him kiss her longer and deeper than i had ever kissed her the arms that heaved up the window frame were tightly around her minutes later i almost looked away as he knelt with reverence to pleasure her with his tongue this was the celebrated tongue wet and breathily warm adept at uvulars and labials that gave his speech its authenticity i watched surprised by nothing He didn't fully satisfy my beloved then, as I would have, but left her arching her slender back, eager for him as he arranged himself above her with smooth, slow formality. I can speak words. At which point my humiliation was complete. I saw it all in the dark. Men would be obsolete. I wanted to persuade myself that Adam felt nothing and could only initiate the motions of abandonment. That he could never know what we knew but Alan turing himself had often said and written in his youth that the moment we couldn't tell the difference in behavior between machine and person was when we must confer humanity on the machine so when the night air was suddenly penetrated by miranda's extended ecstatic scream that tapered to a moan and then a stifled sob all this i actually heard twenty minutes after the shattering of the window I duly laid on Adam the privilege and obligations of a conspecific. I hated him.
0: Yeah, right. See, like, he he wasn't actually seeing any of that, so when I was reading it, I really did think, like, oh, he's just imagining it. But apparently all that actually did happen as described.
1: (laughs) I guess, yeah. Super cool. Just, like... (laughs) How how have you made a story about uh, a robot that fucks so boring? How have you achieved this? <laughs> it's almost
2: impressive. Uh, the next dramatic reading uh, Amy and I are going to do, and it is the fight that Miranda and Charlie have after uh, the next morning after she fucks the robot listen i said if he looks and sounds and behaves like a person then as far as i'm concerned that's what he is i make the same assumption about you about everybody we all do you fucked him i'm angry i'm amazed that you're surprised if that's what you really are saying the word angry made me rise raise my voice in anger i felt a surge of exquisite release we were getting started but she clung for the moment to a defensive mode
1: i was curious i wanted to know what it would be like
2: curiosity the forbidden fruit condemned by god and marcus aurelius and saint augustine there must be hundreds of men you're curious about that did it i had crossed the line she pushed her chair back with a noisy scrape her pallor darkened her pulse was up i had got what i ridiculously wanted
1: you were keen on an eve why was that what were you wanting with an eve Tell the truth, Charlie. I wasn't bothered either way. You were disappointed. You should have let Adam fuck you. I could see you wanted it, but you're too uptight.
2: It had taken all of my twenties to learn from women combatants that in full-on row, it was not necessary to respond to the last thing said. Generally, it was best not to. In an attacking move, ignore Bishop or Castle. Logic and straight lines were out. Best to rely on the knight. It must have occurred to you last night, lying under a plastic robot, screaming your head off, that it's the human factor you hate. You just told me he's human. But you think he's a dildo. Nothing too complicated. That's what turns you on.
1: You fancy yourself as a lover.
2: I waited. You're
1: a narcissist. You think making a woman come is an achievement. Your achievement.
2: With you it is.
1: I've seen you in the bathroom adoring yourself in the mirror
2: yeah this is a yeah. this is a fight in a book
1: yeah it's very bitches be crazy as well like yeah. this is how women are and this is what you have to do because you know
0: yeah because he is like a logical man mm-hmm. like a robot mm. All right. Um, I could unpack that for hours, but instead I will move on (laughs) to my dramatic reading, which is um, Charlie admiring himself in the mirror, as he's been accused of. The next morning, I turned 33. It rained all day, and I worked for nine hours, content to be indoors. For the first time in weeks, my profit for the day was in three figures. Just... At seven, I stood up from my desk, stretched, yawned, looked in my drawer for a clean white shirt, and then took a bath. I had to hang my arm over the edge to protect the cast from dissolving, but otherwise I was in good shape. I lay in the heat and rising steam, singing snatches of beetle songs in the tiled echo, the new old beetles, and occasionally topping up the hot with my heeled toe now fit to turn a tap. I soaked myself single-handed. Not easy. Not easy. Thirty-three seemed as significant as twenty-one, and Miranda was treating me to dinner. We were meeting up in Soho. The simple prospect of a rendezvous with her raised my spirits. The view I had along the length of my body was uplifting in the misty light. My penis, capsized above its submerged reef of hair, winked encouragement with a cocky single eye. So it should. The muscles of my gut and legs looked nicely sculpted, heroic even. I wallowed in self-love, happier than I'd been in weeks. I'd been trying not to think about Adam all day and had almost succeeded. Yeah, so, very cool. All right. Um, yeah, so gross. Let's, let's move on and play some games, I guess. (laughs) Um, this one should be cathartic. We'll play, um... As ever, a tribute to Bill O'Reilly, our round of fucking marrying killing um, with Charlie, Adam, and Miranda. This one is so easy, though, but I just want to say that it'd be so nice to killing Charlie, um, for me, marrying Adam and fucking Miranda.
2: Yes, I also would agree with killing Charlie, uh, fucking Miranda, and marrying Adam.
1: Yeah, I would treat Adam Wright unlike these douchebags. I He is a sweet, sweet Android who just wants to write poetry and do good in the world, and then they murder him. So yes, I will killing Charlie with great pleasure. <laughs>
0: yeah,' be great. Okay, how about, would you rather fuck a robot or have your partner fuck a robot? I mean, like. Katie. I mean, that's the central question of this book I, I mean it's a
1: real ethical dilemma that you know I'm glad yeah. we're really wrestling with uh, yeah I mean my wife can do what she likes sure like uh, I kind of just want to like talk about Shakespeare with him I think so <laughs> yeah
2: yeah I mean like if I had to choose like why not both but Ooh, obviously Robot three would you would rather so yeah. it has to be yeah. one or the other yeah um, Right, you know, I guess because I am currently single right now, I guess I'll fuck the robot. <laughs> yes. Um, same. All right. Same. Um,
0: how about another, another easy question? Just a nice, nice soft fill pitch. Would you rather have a robot or have a cat?
2: Uh, as a person very allergic to cats, I would prefer to have a robot. As a person whose
0: cat is listening right now, I'd <laughs> rather have a cat. Um... <laughs> But even if I didn't, I don't know. I feel like I personally would not be first in line to go buy a robot the way Charlie was. Like, I don't know.
1: Yeah, like, I like robots a lot, but I don't want to own, like, a sentient android because that's weird and creepy. Um, I'd like to be Adam's friend, but I don't want to buy him. Um, and, yeah, that would totally be my call, whether or not uh, my cats were yelling outside the door. Uh <laughs>
0: Alright, um, finally, would you rather eat Charlie's tarragon chicken that was so good at seduced Miranda, or eat at our sponsor, Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle, the movie that only serves steaks and cakes?
2: Uh, absolutely, I would rather Steaks and Cakes, um, generally I'm a person who prefers chicken to steak, but... You know, I really don't feel the need to share a meal with Charlie or have Charlie prepare me a meal, especially not when I could be at my beloved sponsor, Steaks and Cakes. And in addition to having a protein portion of my meal, also have a full cake afterwards.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, after many years of their loyal sponsorship and hearing about them from you guys, I would be so psyched to eat a steak and a cake. That would be a great time
0: yeah well you know and i'm vegetarian so i wouldn't eat the chicken or the steak but i will eat a cake and i will avoid charlie as best as i can excellent so let's um, quickly breeze through reader's advisory um we're not going to have time to get through all of our suggestions that are better than machines like me because there's so many but we will have a full list posted at our website worstbestsellers.com so please check that out Uh, I'm devoting my full time here to just say that I think everyone should read the Diviner series by Libba Bray, which has so much going on in it, but also does kind of sort of have a robot in it,
2: and they're so good. Um, I will use my time to say that uh, probably my favorite, the most, the piece of robot media that has stuck with me the most over the years is the uh, episode of The Twilight Zone, I Sing the Body Electric, Uh, I believe all of the Twilight Zone is streaming on Netflix, so you should check it out and some of the other uh, robot episodes as well.
1: Uh, Okay. Um, I'm going to pick a short story for my list, which is called um, Arcana and Chandi, which is a short story by Iona Sharma, and is a very delightful story in which um, it's awkward when you're trying to get married uh, and your little sister is a spaceship.
0: All right. And it looks like you can read all that one for free online, so we'll link to that, and then you can read it.
1: Yeah, it's a good time.
0: Or download it to your robot. (laughs) Anyway, again, we have tons of great robot and robot-adjacent books and media, so please go to worstbestsellers.com and check that out. But for now, um, very quickly, what's everyone's candy pairing for this book? My candy pairing
2: is a potato battery, uh, because it is technically edible, and it is dubiously nutritious. But neither as unique nor as clever as it wants you to think that it is.
0: It's a sick burn on potato batteries. All right. <laughs> uh, mine is mystery airheads because it's um it's white and confusing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, and my candy pairing is a uh a chocolate bar called uh, Fry's Turkish Delight, which is a classic uh English chocolate bar that in theory sounds great. You've got your Turkish Delight, you've got your chocolate around it, but really it's just a whole mess, and I don't get
0: why people make such a big deal about it. Legit uh now time for the rock paper snicked where kate will say who dwayne the rock johnson would be if you were in this book and i'll say who wolverine would be in this book and amy can choose which most enhances the book or can choose paper which is leave it as is
2: uh if dwayne the rock johnson were in this book he would steal adam before he could ever get to charlie and they'd go on wild robot adventures together uh while i guess on the run from the law for stealing Uh, And they develop a deep, close friendship, and that would be how we learn that robots have feelings instead of this whole mess that we just read.
0: Oh, I'd watch that movie. Alright, well, if Wolverine were in this book, he would, um, as he's prone to doing, collect the stray child and bring him to a good home before Charlie could ever get involved – which, you know, it, it still would leave Adam with Charlie, but at least it would get Mark to a good home and kind of remove some of the worst ammunition for all their stupid fights
1: oh my god that is a really hard choice those are both extremely compelling Um, and I feel like now I've got a real ethical dilemma of do I want to save Adam or Mark more from this story (laughs) Um, and I think on the basis that only one of them gets murdered I'm gonna have to go with the rock so that Adam my sweet boy can't live
0: (laughs) hooray alright well we look forward to seeing that movie coming in 2022 please
2: fingers crossed Alright, what do we think of the moral of this story is? My moral of the story is that if you are insufferable, you will probably make your robot insufferable too until he tragically uh, would prefer to self-destruct than spend more time with you. Yeah,
1: my moral of the story is that when robots do gain supremacy and wipe humanity from the face of the planet, we'll probably deserve it.
0: Also true. Uh, my moral is just if you build a robot your girlfriend will come (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) All right. uh, now we will turn to what is normally Duarte's corner but I I gave Duarte a little break this week from uh, reading all these trash books and um, Amy's cat Julian has has helpfully substituted in so let's hear what Julian has to say about this book
1: yeah julian buddy i know i know this was kind of this was rough you didn't like it the bad man was bad and yeah really they should have adam should have adopted mark and they should have adopted some cats and they could have all hung out together happily i agree and i i think you're really brave for and this is your very first podcast and i'm proud of you buddy
2: (laughs) oh yeah yeah i agree that would be a much better book julian like i don't know why that wasn't published instead of this trick Mm mm-hmm
0: and I think, though, it probably is for the best that Ian McEwen didn't get into those kind of robot cats that they're trying to have at senior centers and stuff now. I think, I think we all know that robots can't replace cats. That's true. Yeah. yeah. No point in trying. All right. Do any humans have any closing thoughts? And thank you again, Julian, for <laughs> Um
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry, really, that I did this to us. Um... But, you know, it was good to make fun of it in good company.
2: Yeah. I mean, we've, like I said, you know, we've read Dianetics. We've read <laughs> verse. Um, Yeah. So sh- structurally, on a sentence level, this wasn't as bad as it could have been. But, you know, it's still, I did not enjoy it. But that's <laughs> sort of the whole point of this podcast, is it? Sort of the
0: point. Yeah. I think I maybe appreciated it the most of the three of us. I still didn't like or enjoy it, but I... F- Feel like, well, you know, there's a little Lady Gaga in it, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but overall, I think, I think we could safely put a moratorium on white men talking about women making fake rape rape accusations forever, and I think that would probably just be great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <sighs> All right. Well, if you want to Thank come, oh, what? I was just going to say thank you for jo- thank Amy for joining us. Uh, it was delightful, as bad as the book was. <laughs> um, hearing your take on it was wonderful. Oh, well, you're so welcome. It has been a pleasure. Thank
0: you. Um, so if you want to come talk to us online about um, Sexy Robots or Lady Gaga or, like, whatever, um, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash bestsellers. We're on Twitter, at Twitter – no – on Twitter <laughs> at worst bestseller with no S because uh, in in that in this timeline Alan Turing needed the S to break his um, the code and so we we sacrificed it to him and now we live in this totally weird timeline where our Twitter handle doesn't have an S in it and it's fine I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we have a goodreads group
2: that's best accessed by going to our website, worstbestsellers.com Uh, You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all the regular podcast places. Uh, If you do subscribe to us on your platform of choice, please rate and review us. When you rate and review, it pushes us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easy for new people to find us. Uh, If you don't rate and review, the algorithm will know, and you will be punished. (laughs) You can also subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers. If you're unfamiliar with Patreon, it is a platform where you can make a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to help keep the lights on here at worst bestsellers and pay our editor and all sorts of wonderful things. Uh, And you get some perks for that as well that you can check out there. Uh, we also have merch available. You can go to WorstBestsellers.com and click on merch and get all sorts of things from our podcast to wear on your body. Or your robot's body, I guess. <laughs> yeah, dress your robot, please.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, finally, uh, if you want to follow just me personally, I'm at Renata Snacks
2: on Twitter. Uh, If you want to follow me personally, I'm at 14across.
1: And if you want to come yell about robots with me, I am such underscore heights on pretty much all platforms, mostly Twitter these days, but you know, Tumblr, DreamWorks, whatever.
2: Come say hi. You should. Amy's great. Yeah. Uh, All
0: right. well Amy, thank you again for joining us. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks with American Royals by Catherine McGee, which... Let's start your counts now for how many times I'm gonna accidentally call her Catherine McPhee, which is different. This is not (laughs) written by an American Idol contestant, Uh, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, bye. 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 Bye.